Welcome to the Calvary Church Podcast. We're glad that you are here and that you can be a part of a recent service at TCC. So let's join the service, which is already underway, and listen to the message. Songs reinforce our beliefs. It's the real intention of singing in church. Songs reinforce what we believe. Our Bible quizzers are learning verses from the book of Psalms. Do we have any Bible quizzers here? Raise your hand. Stand up. Let's see you, all the Bible quizzers. Stand up. Stand up. All right. They're learning hundreds of verses in the book of Psalms, which is a collection of songs that reinforce the core beliefs of the children of Israel. In the New Testament, the early church used songs as a way to help people understand doctrine and to celebrate the work of Christ. Most scholars believe that in Philippians chapter 2, that a hymn was sung. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 5, it says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made of himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men and being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore, God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those in heaven and of those on the earth and those under the earth and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This was a song. That was a song that the early church sung. Bible scholars believe that 1 Timothy 3.16 is an early church hymn. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen by angels, preached among the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up in glory. It's a beautiful song. We do, not, we do know that hymns played an important role in the church. So much so that Paul would tell the church in Ephesians, do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of God. He would tell the Colossians, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms, in hymns, in spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord, and whatever you do in word or in deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Songs were important. Songs help us memorize important concepts. Anyone learn the alphabet with a song? <clears throat> How about the books of, a, of the Bible? There is no other season where songs play as an important role in helping us understand a story and the vital principles of a season. Part of the magic of Christmas are the songs. Although for some... 
The songs start a little too early. <clears throat> Christmas songs at our house begin on November 2nd. I can tell you that in the beginning of October, I feel the pressure. People start putting pressure on to turn on Christmas music. Say, no, we're not going to do that. We're going to wait for Halloween to finish its course. And Audrey's birthday is on November 1st. So we honor Audrey. And so on November 2nd, we can listen to Christmas music. <clears throat> and we hope that they conclude sometime in December. But as many times as I've sang the Christmas songs, for some reason, I still struggle with the words. Have you ever tried to sing Christmas songs without the words in front of you? It can be tragic. <laughs> I'm always a little scared that my mic is on when I'm over here. That somehow people will hear me butcher the words. I butcher every worship song we ever sing. The moment I look down, I start saying words. I have no idea where they come from. And it's not tongues. <laughs> A few years ago on Christmas Eve in 2015, Ava was four years old. And she came in our room, I believe we were in Canton on that particular day. Christmas was on our minds, and so being good parents, when she came in, we wanted to take the time to reinforce the importance of what Christmas is really all about. And so I'm going to play for you this conversation or a portion of this conversation. Now, why do we celebrate the holidays? Okay, um, um, get food to snow age. Kristen asked her why we celebrated holidays. No. What? Angels don't eat birthday cake. But somebody eats a birthday cake. Who is it? Um, Teresa is always going to have a birthday. Oh, well, who else? Somebody very special? Um, Yashua. Actually, Nathan. Ava. Why do we celebrate Christmas? Whose birthday is it? I told you, Tazy. Mm -hmm. No. Nathan. No, you sang a song about it last year. And Bella. You sang. Happy birthday. Jesus. I'm so glad it's Christmas. All the carols and bells and presents are you. Happy birthday, Jesus. Mm -hmm. I'm so glad it's Christmas. All the carols and bells. Wait, lights? All the tinsel and lights. In the presents but the real gift is you. Happy birthday, Jesus. I'm so glad it's Christmas. All the carols and the, and the presents are you. Happy birthday. 
Wait, that's it, Mom. Happy birthday, Jesus. Remember, that was your part. Hey, sing Hark the Herald. What? Sing Hark the Herald like Charlie Brown. Uh, how about we do the first part? Okay. Mm -hmm. I'm going to do that. Yeah, oh, yeah, I love that. Go ahead. <laughs> Merry Christmas, Charlie Brown. Are the herald angels Glory to the newborn king. Peace on earth, better see while God in sin is rich and Christmas? Because you get food to snow angels. <laughs> Fail. We tried. <clears throat> we tried. Apparently sometimes songs just don't work. Ava is now eight years old, and I want her to come up here with me today. <clears throat> She was four years old during that recording. And I've, I've really helped, had to help her overcome the influence of her mother and to really understand the meaning of Christmas. And so, so Ava, why, why do we celebrate Christmas? Why do we celebrate Christmas? The reason for Christmas is simple, we know. For bobsledding and bunnies that play in the snow? No, the reason for Christmas is easy to see. Oh, it's for all the great gifts that you're going to give me. <laughs> the reason for Christmas is not about that. It's about drinking hot cocoa and wearing a funny hat? No, the reason for Christmas is really just this. A fine mistletoe and someone to kiss like your mom? <laughs> no, the reason for Christmas, everyone knows. For Frosty the Snowman and Rudolph's Red Nose? No, the reason for Christmas, if you let me, I'll tell. It's for singing Christmas carols and to jingle a jingle bell. No, the reason for Christmas is not that at all. It's about lights and decorations and decking the hall. <laughs> no. No, no, triple no. The reason for Christmas is none of those things. It's about jolly St. Nick and the presents he brings. 
No, the reason for creases is really quite plain. It's for dr- gumdrops and stockings and big candy canes? No, the reason for creases is about so much more. Oh, it's about big Christmas trees and shopping in stores. No, please wait just a minute. I have something to say. This whole celebration called Christmas Day is not about presents or lights all glow or trees and bobsledding and white fluffy snow. It's not about shopping or decking the hall or even holly jolly Santa Claus. The reason for Christmas is about Jesus' birth. It's about, that love that he, it's about the love that he gave when he came here to earth. So while we're having fun spreading Christmas joy, don't forget that Jesus came as a little boy. He came that we might live a life full and free. So let's praise his name forever for the victory. Merry Merry Christmas, Christmas, everyone. Take that with you. Take that with you. Well, I guess she... Got me straight on that. (laughs) Today, as we consider the role of songs in our collective experience of the season of Christmas, I'd like to speak this morning on the subject, Away in the Manger. For some time, Away in the Manger went by a different name. It was called Luther's Cradle Hymn. It was thought to have been written by Martin Luther for his own children and then passed on by German mothers. However, modern research discounts this claim. Stanzas 1 and 2 first appeared in the Little Children's Book published in Philadelphia in 1885. The third verse was written by a Methodist minister, John T. McFarland, in the early 1900s when an additional stanza for the carol was desired to use for the church children's Christmas play. There is hardly a Christmas song that is more loved than this tender children's carol, Away in a Manger. With its simply worded expression of love for the Lord Jesus Christ and trust in his faithful care, the hymn appeals to both the young and the old alike. It is usually one of the first Christmas songs that is learned at an early age. Yet its pleasing melody and gentle message preserve it in our affections all through our life. Christmas carols, like any song for me, are difficult to remember. So what is remarkable about Away in the Manger is that almost every line in the carol has had a variety of words. This is not helpful. (laughs) The most significant include the following. In verse number one, the earliest source says that no crib for his bed. But there was also a version version, version that said no crib for a bed. In verse 1, line 2, the earliest sources say, lay down his sweet head. In another version, it said, laid his sweet head. Verse 1, line 2, some sources as early as 1900 said his wee head instead of his sweet head. Verse 1, line 3, the earliest sources have, the stars in the sky look down where he lay. 
leading to the possible idea that some said it was looked as it was pronounced in two syllables versus one syllables. It became quite confusing. And Herbert, one of the ones who published the song, substituted stars in the heaven. And Gabriel in 1892 said stars in the heavens. And then the first one, uh, Kirkpatrick was the first one to use stars in the bright sky. If that's not confusing enough, verse 4, the earliest sources have a sleep in the hay. Murray in 1887 changes this to be asleep on the hay. Verse 2, the earliest source says, the poor baby wakes. Another version says, the baby awakes. Verse 2, line 4, this line has a multitude of variants. It says, and stay by my crib watching my lullaby, and stay by my crib to watch lullaby, and stay by my cradle to watch lullaby, and watch by me always and ever be nigh, and stay by my cradle till morning is nigh, and watch over my bed while in slumber I lie, and stay by my side until morning is nigh. This is ridiculous. And verse 3 is completely absent from most publications until 1892. Verse 3, though, has a little variant. It says, instead of take us to heaven, one popular variant said, has fit us for heaven. I'm not sure how it all works, but what I understand is that we, in this beloved classic, we can learn a little something. And so, let's say the words together, since you guys are so good at Christmas hymns. And I want you to listen closely to your neighbor. I have purposely asked them not to put the Christmas song on the screen. So here we go. Away in the main, a manger. See, I got it wrong right from the start. <clears throat> I put the title as Away in the Manger. The words say Away in a Manger. Whatever. Here we go. Away in a manger, no crib for a bed. All right, now let's go to stanza two. Ah, the cattle are lowing, the baby. All right. I, it sounds like a general mumble. <laughs> Verse 3, be near me. This side has no clue. You, this side has no clue what the Christmas song. All right, well done. 
The title of the song, the first four words of the stanza point us to a particular, if not peculiar, item that has become a central symbol of the Christmas season, away in the manger. In these four words, we are brought near an important truth about the advent of God coming to earth as a human. The manger guides us to where he arrived on that glorious night, and I conclude he still arrives. While it is peculiar, it is not petty. Luke chapter 2 verse 1, it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This census first took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. So all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, and to be registered with Mary, his, his betrothed wife, who was with child. So it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered, and she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. He's laid, he's brought forth in a lowly place. The whole scene, the whole situation is set up by things that were outside of the control of Joseph and Mary. They had no control about the decree that Caesar Augustus would declare. They had no control over the census that the governor of Syria would tell them they had to go be a part of. They had no control that he had to arrive in Bethlehem. And in reality, the pregnancy of Mary would have slowed them down. They traveled a little slower. By the time they got there, they got to Bethlehem. I believe the town was packed. It was full. Everybody had come into the, uh, to, to the city to take part in the census. And so Joseph, trying to be a good person, a good man, takes his time getting there. But when he arrives, there's no room. It's not their fault. And then she goes into labor. They try to get into the inn, but there's no place to go. So they find a cave, a place where animals gathered. And so she delivers the Christ child. And she wraps him in just some clothing, some cloth that she could find, strips of cloth called swaddling clothes. And then a way to help him find comfort, she lays him in the only thing that could provide comfort and rest for her and comfort for him, and she lays him in a manger. Had they had room in the inn, the swaddling clothes might not have been necessary. You think about why did they lay him in a manger? The Bible says because there was no room in the inn. Had they had room in the inn, the swaddling clothes might have been might not have been necessary. Had there been room in the end, the, the manger would have been pointless. The decree had sent them there. The census took them to Bethlehem. The pregnancy, I believe, kept them from reaching out to family and friends. 
Remember, this was done under an undercover kind of scenario to protect the reputation of Mary. But Mary and Joseph both knew the greatness with which their collective experience had brought them to. They would be responsible to bring into the world. They knew the Son of God, Emmanuel, the Savior of the world, God with us, the King of kings. They knew what they were bringing into the world. The magnitude of what they knew about who was coming would not be lost. So it would also seem unfair that such greatness would be born in a cave. It would almost seem unfair that he would be born without fanfare, that he would be born in a place that seemed unexpected, that seemed isolated, that seemed so low, laid in a manger? Are you kidding me? So low. But Mary and Joseph had no choice. Things were out of their hands, but they trusted the hand of God. See, the manger was a place of the unforeseen. It was a place of loneliness. It was a place that was lowly. But I submit today, it was truly a place of destiny. It was not just a place that randomly showed up in the story. But I believe it was just as every other detail leading up to the birth of Christ was an important detail. We might assume that the unforeseen events in our life are tragic and they may, that may be true. We might assume that the lonely times in our life are beyond our ability to overcome. But Jesus said, I'm not just going to show up in the brilliance of your life. I am willing to show up in the lowest place of your life. I'm not going to just show up in the perfection of what you are or in the perfect person that you are. I'm going to show up in the unforeseen. I'm going to show up in the lonely times, in the tragic times. In times that are outside of my control, can I tell somebody today, I can guarantee you, when you think that God is nowhere near, he's laying in a manger. He's in your lowest moments. He's there. He's there. Because he said, I'm going to show up in a lowly place and to lowly people. So who does he give the first announcement to? He gives it to the shepherds. Now, we have a nativity in our house, and it is biblically inaccurate. But we love it. It's beautiful. It's Jesus laying in the manger with the wise men coming on horses and elephants and camels with gifts. But that's not what they saw. The wise men didn't see Jesus in a manger. They saw little Asher running around being crazy. The ones who got to see Jesus laying in the manger were lowly shepherds. Shepherds who were considered unclean. 
Shepherds who, according to the Jewish law, were unclean. Why? Because they were constantly around filth. They were constantly around animals that were unclean. They were around dead animals that were laying, and they had to get them. They had to, to kill animals to stave off the, the, the uh, animals that were trying to kill the sheep. They were considered unclean. They were a lowly people. But an angel appears to the shepherds out of the night sky. It was a, a night when they just thought it was an ordinary time. And this announcement comes. One angel shows up and says to them, do not be afraid. For behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David, a savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you. How are you going to know that he's Christ the Lord? Because he sits on a throne? Because he's in some palace or some temple? No, this is the sign. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes and laying in a manger. The sign of his coming was found in the symbol of the lowly. Not only were the shepherds the lowest of the occupations, Christ was arriving at the lowest tool of their trade, the manger, the place where the animals ate. And suddenly there was with the angels a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace, goodwill towards men. And so... This one angel that shows up is suddenly joined by a host of angels and the sky is lit with the glory and they begin to say glory to God in the highest. And so it was that when the angels had left, the shepherd said, let's go find this one. And verse number 16 says, they came haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe. Where was he? Lying in a manger. The manger wasn't an insignificant detail. It was an important detail that points to us about how God comes and to who God comes. How did this all take place? How did this lowly experience start? It started... When a young woman was visited by the angel Gabriel. We know the story. The angel said to her, rejoice highly favored. One, the Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. But when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying. And considered what manner of greeting this was. Then the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Then Mary said to the angel, how can this be, since I do not know a man? 
The angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also that Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. Now indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age. And this is the, now the sixth month of her who was called barren. For with God, nothing will be impossible. And Mary has a choice now. What's she going to do with this conversation with an angel? The scripture tells us, Mary said, Behold, the maidservant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. So the angel left. She goes and visits Elizabeth. She runs to her house, actually. Elizabeth knows something has happened. Elizabeth's own baby leaps in her womb. There's a supernatural moment there. Elizabeth prophesies over Mary. And it's here in this moment that something extraordinary happens. Something very special happens. Mary begins to sing the first Christmas song. She says, my soul magnifies the Lord. And my spirit has rejoiced in God, my Savior. For he has what? Regarded the lowly state of his maidservant. For behold, henceforth all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things to me and holy is his name. And his mercy is on those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He has put down the mighty from their thrones. And and what has he done? Exalted the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things. And the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. As he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his seed forever. This is the first Christmas song. And so we realize by the time that Mary gets to Bethlehem, and by the time Mary arrives at that inn and they say there's no room for the inn, by the time she realizes all she has is to have the baby in a cave where the animals are, and all she has is some strips of cloth and a manger, Mary has already accepted one thing about this Christ. He comes to the lowly. He's not going to be offended by the manger because Christ comes for the lowly. So today we consider that the cave for Mary, even though it was unforeseen, even though it was unexpected, even though it wasn't maybe how she thought it would be, For her, it wasn't a tragedy that couldn't be overcome. For her, it wasn't a place of injustice. When Mary gets to Bethlehem, she has already put her faith in God. She has already trusted his plan. And she has already determined that he would arrive with mercy for the outcast. She was comfortable with the idea that the Son of God would come to the lowly. 
She had already sang the song that said he would come to the hungry. And I just imagine as Mary is giving birth in this stinky, fly-infested animal shelter. As she wraps baby Jesus in swaddling clothes and strips of cloth. As she lays him in the manger. She reflects and she starts to hum a tune. A tune of that first Christmas song. manger points us to a king, a savior who was born to a lowly woman in a lowly place, laid in a lonely manger and declared to lowly shepherds. And can I tell you today, it is still how Christ comes. Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I don't know what's in your manger. I don't know what's in your lowly moments. I don't know what's in the dark times of your life. 
But I'm telling you today that Christ is not afraid to show up in those times. Jesus Christ wants to be in your unexpected moments. I would say don't let those things be a place of isolation. Let it be a place of inspiration. Today, I have Carolyn Hawkins up here. She is beloved at the Calvary Church. There's some things that you might not know about Carolyn. On a cold February day, a man was walking down a road that he had only walked down, he had never walked down before. It was the first time he had traveled this way. And he heard something that sounded like a cat in a bag. When he went over to look at it, he found a little baby in the trash that had been thrown away. And that baby was Carolyn Hawkins. Discarded and left all alone. So when he found her, he took her to a place that could help and The news hit the radio, and a couple heard about the baby and decided to adopt Carolyn. That couple that adopted Carolyn were spirit-filled. And Christ showed up in a manger. He showed up in a lowly place. When all was lost and all seemed hopeless, yet Christ would lay down his sweet head. He would find a baby. He would find a child and say, I've got a plan. I've got a purpose for you. And today, I don't know what your manger looks like. I don't know how low it is. But a great God is willing to show up in the lowest of moments. And if you've never repented of your sins, if you've never turned your heart to a loving God, today's a great day. The advent of Jesus is coming. If you haven't been water baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, today is a great day. Be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And if you're seeking for Christ to dwell in you, that God to come to a lowly place. Let me tell you, all of us are low, but yet he chose to show up in our lives through the power of the Holy Spirit. Oh, hallelujah. And today, he's willing to show up in our lives, in our mangers. I'm gonna pray for you and then I'm gonna invite you to come. God, I thank you. I thank you for this moment. I thank you, God, for your willingness to show up in the lowest of places. Your willingness, God, to find us, even when we don't know where we are or what we're doing, God. You're not afraid of our low times. You're not afraid of, God, the things that are outside of our control. But, Lord, you care 
about us today. You're reaching for us and just as you came on that night and you laid in that manger today, Lord, you're wanting to arrive in the hearts of men and women in this room today. Through the power of your spirit, Lord, we're gonna find you. I pray today, I pray today that someone would acknowledge you today as Lord and Savior. Someone would see you as the Son of God, the Savior of the world, the Son of the highest, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Oh God, would you worship him today? This podcast was brought to you by the Calvary Church in Cincinnati, Ohio. For more information about the Calvary Church, please visit our website at www.thecalvarychurch.com. Consider joining us for a service where you will find friendly people, high-energy music, and life-transforming preaching and teaching from a biblical worldview. You can find our podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or on our website at www.thecalvarychurch.com. Until next time, thanks for listening.